Looking for inspiring destinations, incredible places to stay, and the most exciting bucket list experiences to travel to next? Welcome to Destination Everywhere with hospitality and travel entrepreneurs Todd Bloodworth and Andy McNeil. Having traveled to over 100 countries, Todd and Andy bring you unique perspectives with celebrities in the know, hospitality experts, and native connoisseurs to discover must-dos and inspirational destinations to plan your next trip for business or pleasure. So pack your bags and get ready as we bring you Destination Everywhere with Todd and Andy. Ever since the early days of nomadic life, humans have had a need, an urge to travel. As industry has grown and we've become a global community, travel has become a part of the everyday. From the deserts of Africa to the snow-capped mountains of the Alps to distant islands in the Pacific, this podcast will showcase not only bucket list adventures, but also reveal to our listeners the world's top venues, exotic foods, and best places for work and play. We are ready to share the secrets about the destinations you didn't know you needed to add to your bucket list. In this episode, you will also meet Aaron Francis Cummings, CEO of Destination Analysts. Aaron will share about the present and future state of travel as we come out of the COVID-19 pandemic. We are all excited to get back to exploring. As Robert Louis Stevenson once said, I travel not to go anywhere, but to go. I travel for travel's sake. The great affair is to move. So let's get moving. Welcome to this episode of Destination Everywhere. Time to travel again. Welcome, everyone, to Destination Everywhere. I'm Andy McNeil, along with Todd Bloodworth, and we're so excited to have you here for our first episode. Destination Everywhere is about Going back to where Todd and I have been, we've been to over 100 countries, and now we're going to take you with us. We have been in the travel and hospitality industry for, gosh, going on 25 to 30 years. But Todd, the first thing I want to talk about is our cover art. I actually think they did a pretty good job. What do you think? No, I think they did great. I'm wearing the same outfit, I think. I think it really catches the spirit of what the podcast is about. And I think, yeah, I, I haven't looked like that since high school. But uh, I know I have a 32-inch waist. I haven't had that since high school, but I'm glad the graphic artist did it. Thank you, whoever you are. Thank you so much. So um, uh, we're excited to be here. We're excited to talk about all the different types of people we're going to be speaking to. We're going to be speaking to some of the top chefs in the world. Michelin uh, rated restaurants. We're going to be talking to the top hotels, celebrities who've been to these destinations, local connoisseurs. It is going to be a lot of fun and we're going to um, get started right away. Todd, who is our first guest on Destination? Our, our first guest, uh, you know, we thought it would be appropriate for our first guest to be somebody who is a market researcher. Her name is Erin Francis Cummings and she is the president and CEO of Destination Analysts. So, she provides information from the traveler's perspective on when people will start to travel. When, when will people be comfortable to get Excellent. back in airplanes? So we're really looking forward to hearing from her. And, and it's just a great kickoff for, for our podcast series. Awesome. And another part of uh, a segment, which I think is going to be actually my favorite segment, is going to be the bucket list, where we're actually talk about the unique bucket list items in each one of these destinations. So our listeners can go and do those very special things. So we're going to be really pushing our guests 
to find those really unique things to do. But before we do all that, we're going to come back and I'm going to interview Todd and Todd's going to interview me so you guys can get to know us a little bit better. We'll do that right after this break. All right, welcome back everybody to Destination Everywhere. I'm Andy McNeil along with Todd Bloodworth. And right now we're gonna actually interview each other so you guys can get to know us a little bit personally and why we both have a passion for travel. So Todd, you ready? Here we go. All right, first one. So you were an army brat, right? So you traveled all over the world as a young kid. Tell us like where you landed, what your parents were doing and why they uh, dragged you across the globe. In a nutshell, Born in the States, born in Daytona Beach, Florida. We moved to Germany. We lived in a couple of different places in Germany. Moved to Hawaii, lived in a couple of different places in Hawaii. Moved to Kansas, Fort Leavenworth area. And then we moved to Pensacola up in the panhandle of Florida. And then we ended up in Northern Virginia, uh, right outside of Washington, D.C. So as a kid, we were always changing schools, but I was lucky enough to kind of have one high school that I went to for most of my time. Do you think I gave you the travel bug? Yeah, I think uh, definitely there's an education that comes with travel. You know, everything's experiential. It lets you, you know, meet different types of people quickly. You know, you become friends with people quickly and you're ready to meet new people when you move again. You know, it, it wasn't intimidating for us as kids. You know, we were excited to go to the next place because everybody we went to or everywhere that we went, the kids were all new. So it was a bunch of kids that were just feeding off of each other and getting to know each other. And then you would all kind of separate and go to other parts of the world. That was a life of military. Yeah. So of all those different places, so I guess six or seven places you went over the course of your first 12 years of your life, what was your favorite one that really resonated with you that you had the overall best experience? Are you talking about when I was a kid? Yeah. When you're a kid. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I remember little things from each that are each unique. You know, Germany was great because I just remember tons of snow. I remember the mountains in Germany. Then you go to Hawaii and we actually lived on the water in Hawaii. And we had these tide pools behind our house and the cultures were different. You know, you have kind of a, an Oktoberfest in, in one area and then you have, you know, luau's in another and then you go to Kansas and it's canyons and it's fields and it's buffalo. So yeah, every place offered something different, you know, very unique, which was interesting. So, and then you landed in DC and your father actually worked for the US Army and he traveled extensively, and that probably had an impact on you as well, right? No, absolutely. He would go on trips, and he would be gone for, you know, sometimes long periods at a time, you know, and he would come back, and I knew he was on safari, or he went to the former Soviet Union, and he would bring back trinkets and things for us. I remember, you know, he would bring back wood from Africa, and we would have to freeze it. And we're like, why do you freeze that? Because there could be bugs in the wood, and you want to be sure that they're all dead before you bring them out. And he brought back these relics from the Soviet Union, you know, military belt buckles and things that, you know, just kind of seemed really, really uh, foreign to me because nobody could go to the Soviet Union. And it's kind of like going to Cuba now. You want to see these things before they become commercialized, if you can. Yeah. To kind of see what authentically was there before, you know, it really popped with tourism. All right. So you graduated high school, you went to Virginia Tech. Go Hokies. Yes. Go Hokies. And then after that, you started your career in the uh, event marketing space and you landed where? Well, I originally, I moved down to, I packed up the car again. It was about that time for me to move again. You know, I was, I get a little restless if I'm somewhere too long. So I packed up the car, drove down to South Florida, ended up getting a job there. And it wasn't a place I was going to do roots. I was going to go from there to, you know, the mountains in Colorado 
But, you know, ultimately you do have to grow up a little bit. And I did get a job and I was doing special events for a beer company. And then, but I saw people traveling for work and I wanted to travel for work. I didn't want to be stuck in the same place. You know, I wanted to get on an airplane. I wanted to pack a suitcase. I wanted to go to hotels. So I ended up getting a job with a meetings and events company. Uh huh. And that just kind of changed. Took you to a lot of different places. Absolutely. I mean, that just kind of changes your whole perspective. And then you become enlightened with what's really out there. You know, my first trip they sent me on, they're like, okay, we're going to send you out to LA. It's Beverly Hills. You're going to stay at the region Beverly Wilshire. And, you know, I'm blown away. You know, my experience with that was, you know, the region Beverly Wilshire. That's the hotel that was in Pretty Woman, you know, and I'm like, this is great. So <laughs> I go and they pick you up in a car and then you get a suite at the hotel and you're working. It's hard work, but, you know, you don't mind doing it because you're just in this place that, you know, you're just kind of like, you know, I can't believe I'm here. And then, you know, you think about your next trip and your next trip. And then, you know, hundreds of trips later, you've seen quite a bit. And, you know, you can tend to get a little lazy in some of these places where you're tired and you don't want to go out and see the city, but you kind of, when you force yourself to do that in your downtime, it just makes it all worthwhile, you know? So I've got some great memories and had some great adventures. You're really unique in the fact that you really look for those unique bucket list things to do that you can do really quick. And it's not when you go to Paris to find something really unique and local that is kind of a once in a lifetime experience that will uh, really resonate with you for the rest of your life. So of all the places that you've been, I know you've been to dozens and dozens and dozens of countries. What are like the top three locations you would say, wow, I want to take the listeners back to this country or this city or this hotel? What are those three things that you're like, I'm going to take you back here and we're going to be able to share some real special things for, with you? You know, one that really comes to mind, I mean, there's a bunch, but uh, one that comes to mind that for some reason, I don't know, it was the weather and the culture and just the diversity was we were doing a program in Copenhagen. We ended up staying in Malmo, Sweden, and that's just over the bridge. So you're taking a bridge back and forth and we had a van and there was no ways and there was no Garmin to, you know, let you drive around. But the difference between you know Sweden and Copenhagen, it was unique. It was they were both beautiful, and I'm glad I got to see them both. You know, you're just driving, and then you look over, and Santiago Cavatrala, he has a building, the Twisting Torso, and he's just an amazing architect who's done things in the United States. He did the Minneapolis. That's definitely a bucket list item for people to try to go see. Is that Twisting Torso building? I've seen it, and I was blown away. Right, and it just pops out of nowhere. You know, it was nowhere that I had seen as a destination. But when you see it, you're like, wow, that's, a, that's an amazing building. But then, you know, afterwards, you know, it is on certain spots for, for touring. Yeah. And that's in Malmo, right? That's in Malmo. Yeah. Yeah. So if folks, if you're listening and you want to see that, just Google Twisting Torso Malmo Sweden. It should pull up. It. It's an amazing building. Definitely a bucket list item. So I'll give that as one location because you, you cheated on me. And well, that was two. You did Malmo and that was two, but I'll give it to you as one. So give me a second one. I want to talk about this other place, you know, and it's on the Denmark side. So listeners, if you haven't met Todd, you understand that he has a gift for gab. He talks a lot. I talk a lot. Kind of a family thing. There's this one place and I don't know if it exists to where it was in the past, but it's uh, in Copenhagen. It's uh, Christiania. And that's this old military fort that has been, it was abandoned. And then it kind of got, I don't know if you would call them squatters, but uh, basically a, a culture, people now developed this Christiania and they made, it's a community and it's actually, it's a hash community. But to go in there as an outsider and just to see this and how they built it up 
and they have their schools and they have their own way of protecting this community. It just blew my mind, you know, artists and pubs and so I don't know if it's still there, but that'd be an incredible bucket list item for folks as well. Just go. I don't think they like cameras in there for some reason. And, uh, you know, cops are in there for a small portion of the day, but it was just, you kind of felt embedded in something that you'll never see again. Another trip uh, definitely was up in the uh, Vancouver Whistler area where we did seaplanes and uh, got to see orca pods. And, you know, we went to uh, uh, Whistler and and we did you know, you go to the top on the gondola and you have an amazing meal and you're seeing totem poles. And it was just that whole area, that part of the country, especially, you know, in Canada, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it's a beautiful area. Yeah, you know. And one more. Let's say Costa Rica. Costa Rica, we actually have a friend, his name's Lee Banks, and um, he's got these two amazing properties. And if you're ever in Costa Rica, one is called the Springs Resort and Spa, and the other one is Waterfall Gardens, uh, La Paz. And they're both, they provide one conservation space for local animals where, you know, people can go and learn about them. And there's that element to it. There's these hummingbirds uh, that will just come right up to you if you hold a hummingbird cup. And we have pictures of our kids holding these little cups and hummingbirds are just all over the place and they're not fearful of, of people. But the rooms at this, uh, at both resorts are just the nicest I've seen anywhere. That's awesome. The Arnal Volcano, the one at the Springs, every room has a picture window of the Arnal Volcano, and it's spectacular. You got to check it out. So everyone put that on their bucket list. That sounds incredible. So wrapping this up, what do you hope to convey to our listeners through this podcast that we're starting? Travel is just an amazing thing. And if you're fortunate to be able to do it, you know, there's no better education in terms of learning about tolerance and other cultures and and if you don't take advantage of it, why we can do this so freely now, it's just such a waste. The things we learn from other people, you know, we bring it home, you know. Everybody has a different version of hospitality, depending on what country you're in. You can go to Europe, and people will probably invite you into your house. Obviously, that doesn't happen in the States, but it's education. I don't know. I was in Salt Lake City once, and I was uh, supposed to go out to dinner with some clients, and they actually said, no, you're coming to our house <laughs> to have dinner. I only knew these folks over the phone and it was a great experience. They had a gorgeous view that I, I never would have gotten from uh, downtown Salt Lake. And um, it was uh, definitely a... Uh, did you end up staying there? I did not stay there, though they really, really wanted me to stay there. <laughs> but I uh, kind of politely turned them down and went back to the hotel. But that's a whole other story. All right. Well, when we get back, Todd gets to interview me and you guys get to hear about how I got the travel bug. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Destination Everywhere. And now's the time where you get to meet Andy McNeil. So I've prepared a list of questions that we're going to ask Andy, and we're just going to go ahead and get started. So, Andy, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. So, Andy, first, let's, let's just talk about a little bit about your childhood. I know you, and, and I know you started, you know, leaving the country very early. So, tell us a little bit about some of the experiences you had when you were a kid. Yeah, so, uh, I was born and raised in Florida, but my father was an avid uh, diver, a scuba diver. So, we spent a lot of time in the Caribbean. And so, probably the first uh, country I went to outside of the U.S. was the Bahamas. And I uh, spent my entire childhood going there, diving, fishing and just a beautiful, beautiful uh, country that's been hit really, really hard. And we're going to actually go back there in, in this first season and see how they're doing. But um, yeah, the Bahamas was my first experience. And 
had a lot of a lot a lot of great experiences going there. And as you were growing up, when did the travel bug kind of really grab you? You know, was it uh, a young adult? Were you after? Was it after college? When did you really start to say this is something I'm going to pursue? Yeah, you know, we, we travel a lot uh, in the d- domestic U.S. as a kid, and I, I always really really enjoy it. But probably right after college, with my first job and uh, starting to see the world and opening it up, and uh, my first big job. Uh, took me all over the world, which was a great experience, to Asia, to all parts of Europe, uh, to all, uh, I've been to almost every uh, uh, state in the union. So it was an incredible way to uh, uh, see the world um, on somebody else's dime, which was great, and see all the different cultures that really, really got me started. Well, and then in uh, your 30s, you started uh, uh, AMI. And yeah, uh, yeah. a big portion of what AMI does is traveling. Not only are you going places, but the entire staff is going all over the world. How did that kind of, uh, you know, change your, your perspective on travel? You know, whether it's traveling for work or pleasure, what did you get from that? Well, I think with AMI, uh, kind of the, one of the core tenets of AMI is we're always looking to, to provide unique and high level experiences for our customers uh, through meetings and events. And so every single engagement and interaction that we do with our clients we end up trying to do something special. And so that really makes us dig in and look at a destination and figure out what makes it special. How can we uh, bring our guests with us to make sure that they're having a great experience? So we've done that all over the world. Like I said earlier, you know, we've been to over 100 countries and counting, and we're looking forward to going back. So now let's talk about some of your, your favorite trips. You know, if you could, what's one that the first one that pops in your head and, and tell us why that was one of your most memorable trips and where was it? Yeah, I th- you know, I think back in uh, 94 was the first time that I ever went to Ireland uh, with my family, Irish heritage on both sides of the family. And we're from pretty much all of Northern Ireland and Northern Ireland. So really got to spend a lot of time and meet my family and go to farmhouses that had, you know, 16th century abbeys on them. See, you know, graveyards with my ancestors in them, and then really enjoy the vibrancy and the eclectic city of Dublin over the course of two weeks. So it was just an incredible experience, and probably one of the top, you know, individual trips that I'll always remember as a great experience. What's another one outside of Ireland? Do you do you have another? Um, whether it's in Europe or in the United States, what's another one that pops into your head? Yeah, I think the one that was probably uh, the greatest surprise, because I really wasn't expecting how beautiful it was, even though I had heard about it, was Croatia. It's, you know, the small country that's kind of nestled on the Adriatic and has uh, lots of islands and lots of coastline. And I was really, really, uh, really taken aback with the, just the sheer uh, beauty of the country. And so that was a great experience. Yeah, because I, you, uh, what you just said, I kind of had a, uh, uh, I think before you go somewhere new, you always kind of have a misconception of what it might be like. Because yeah, you do, don't you? You yeah. hear a news story and you're like, wow, or you hear about, uh, you know, a war or some kind of violence, but then you go to these places and you're like, you know, it's, you put this wall up in your head about some of these destinations. And then when you actually get there, you're like, this is nothing, nothing at all. You know, and Croatia for me was one of those countries, you know? I thought it was a kind of a war-torn, but it turned out to be absolutely gorgeous and very hospitable, which was a, a great surprise. Yeah, so, for sure. It's a beautiful country. And so, uh, you know, as we, we move into this podcast, what kind of message do you want to convey as a traveler, as someone who's been around the world, uh, to the listeners? Well, I'm hoping that we can uh, kind of fast-track people on doing something really unique. You know, not just going to a country and doing the same, you know, tours that everybody else is doing 
really dig in there and we're hoping to help you guys find those really unique things that you can do. We're always looking to do that for our clients. And I think we've got a lot of great ideas. And then we're also bringing in guests, local guests and people who have been there and asking them really, really unique things. So together, bringing all those things together, I think are going to add to everyone's bucket list collectively. And um, I'm really hoping we can improve everyone's experience when they go somewhere special. Now, are you, uh, I, I know we've talked, we've hit some international destinations. What's uh, a great domestic, uh, a U.S. destination uh, trip that you... Well, I've been to a lot of the national parks, but I got to say, uh, two summers ago, I went to Acadia National Park in Maine for the first time, and I was completely blown away with this beauty. Not only did it have some of the best hiking I've ever done, but the coast is just so rugged and so beautiful. And you can't beat the weather in, in July and August. It was just absolutely spectacular. So I'd say that's one of my top bucket lists. And I highly recommend it for anybody. Yeah, that's another thing. I don't think people, there's a large percentage of the population. I don't think they think of national parks when they think of travel. You know, they think of cities and they want to get on airplanes. But um, national parks are really a treasure. And there's a reason, you know. And affordable, uh, yeah. And affordable. Yeah. And you yeah. don't have to get on airplanes. So that's great. What, what was it about Acadia that you liked? Was it the scenery? Was it the hospitality? What is it? Food? Yeah, absolutely. So I think uh, one, of, one of the big things is the hiking is just amazing. And there's all levels of hiking. So you can do, you know, a very simple walk with a elder, an elder in the family. And then you can take your kids on a, a much more aggressive hike in the afternoon. And the whale watching and hopping over to the islands, it's just you, you get so many different facets of the environment when you go to Acadia. I'd highly recommend it. And it's um, just unbelievably beautiful and unspoiled. You know, and, uh, and I know uh, your father who passed Sam McNeil, he was a big traveler as well. Did he influence you in the way you kind of approach life and, and just getting out there and seeing things? Yeah, absolutely. I think he uh, made a big difference in the fact that he was always on the go and always looking for the next thing to do. And that's definitely in my blood and uh, how I approach life and, and family and travel. So I think that's really uh, what we want to convey here is, you know, let's go do the next thing. Let's go find the best and find those bucket list items that everybody can enjoy. Well, Andy, uh, thank you for that. We are going to take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we're going to hit on some specific bucket list items that, um, that we think would be a lot of fun. And, yeah, I'm excited um, this, about that. Yeah, these are just, it's just, we're going to hit on a couple, but believe me, uh, you know, it's a never ending process to find the next, uh, the next bucket list. There's so much to do out there, but we've got a couple of ideas to get us started. So uh, stick around and, and we'll be right back. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Destination Everywhere. I'm Todd Bloodworth. And uh, right now, we're going to talk about, you know, a couple of bucket list items. Obviously, this is just to get us started on our journey. And by our journey, I mean, you know, every podcast is going to address a different bucket list item. But these are just a couple that, that came off when we started brainstorming that we think would be really fabulous trips and adventures for, you know, a, a couple or a family or a group of friends. So, um, Andy, what's the first one that, that you came up with? Yeah, the first one is the Northern Lights in Finland, which is, you can see the Northern Lights in a lot of different Northern countries, but Finland is one of the, one of the best. And um, some of the things you can do is you can stay in a glass igloo or an Arctic treehouse um, and actually get to see through uh, the igloo at the Northern Lights. Can you imagine? It's just got to just be incredible. So, and then you can also see glaciers while you're there. So just the entire seeing the Northern Lights trips in Finland, I think would be 
an incredible bucket list item that's definitely on my list. So in a future podcast, you know, I, 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 we're going to take this and we're just going to blow it up so that uh, you get to experience Finland and the Northern Lights, you know, like nobody else has uh, until you get there yourself. So another great trip that, that I thought was, would be pretty awesome, and it can change because it's such a, a, a changing variable, is, uh, you know, a, a trip down Route 66. You don't have to break the bank when you're um, planning a family vacation or a personal vacation. And sometimes a road trip is just the thing to do that. And, you know, uh, stretching from Chicago to Santa Monica, you can change it every time you do it, right? But there's so many things to do. You've got the Grand Canyon, you've got Vegas, you've got Disneyland, and you really get to see the U.S. for what it is. And it's such a a varied space, you know, from mountains to plains to beaches. And uh, no better way to see it than by ground and by your car. So I think a a Route 66 trip would be pretty amazing. Yeah, it'd be incredible. So I'm going to head over to Italy for the next one. And this, we've actually done several incentive trips to this area of Italy. It's Cinque Terre. And this is where, if you look at those famous Italian uh, photos of seaside villages with all those colors, that area is called Cinque Terre. And it's absolutely beautiful. Some of the best seafood in Europe and a great experience to go uh, w- with your family or with a group. So uh, there's a uh, famous trail there called the Blue Path Trail, which allows you to walk and see all these beautiful towns together, and they connect all five towns. So if you haven't been to Cinque Terre, put it on that bucket list, because it's definitely something that you want to do. Well, and our next one is, uh, it's, I'm going to take you in another direction. I'm going to go all the way south. I'm going to go to South America. And obviously, you know, Machu Picchu. I remember the first time I saw a picture of Machu Picchu in a book when I was in grade school or high school. I I couldn't grasp my head around it. But um, you know, it's, a, it's an UNESCO World Heritage Site. And if you don't know what those are, those are also great bucket item lists. So I suggest you- And they've got a great website. By, yeah, they've got a great website, by the way, yeah. And obviously, uh, Machu Picchu is the, the lost city of the kings. It's the lost city of the Incas up uh, uh, 8,000 feet into the mountains. And it's also one of the newer seven wonders of the world. So not only do you get to see, you know, Lima and Cusco and some of the other towns, but then you can also take a, a, a train or hike uh, to the top. It's actually amazing. You can get uh, Sherpas, and then there's actually a place called Sanctuary up at the top, which is a very exclusive um, spa and, and hotel. Very hard to get in there. But this is just one of those places because it's, uh, it is overhiked. They're regulating it immensely, and it's a very fragile ecosystem. So we want to preserve it. But if you do get a chance to go, I think Machu Picchu is obviously just an, a, an amazing place. Absolutely. And I'm going to, for our last one, I'm going to go all the way over to Africa. And I think this should be on everyone's bucket list is is a safari in Africa and a safari in Kenya, where you can see the big five animals, which is the lion, the elephant, the rhino, the leopard, and the buffalo as part of the great migration. So this is one of those things that you definitely want to put on your bucket list and a great once in a lifetime opportunity. It's not easy to get to, lots of preparation for it. We're going to have a whole show on Kenya to help you guys out as well. And it's a great, a great place to take a family, a great place to do an incentive trip for business. Um, it's just one of those once in a lifetime things. But those are our top five to get us started. And I think it's a pretty good list. Um, we're going to get uh, into a lot more down the road. But next, we're going to go, since we're coming out of COVID, we're going to talk about it's time to travel again and how you can do that safely and effectively. And we're going to come give you some tips. So we'll be right back with time to travel again. We'll be right back. 
Are you ready to book your hotel for your next company event or family adventure? Let AMI help. We have ongoing relationships with all major hotel chains and access to over 200,000 hotels. Why us? We receive special promotions before they hit the open market, meaning significant cost savings to you. Go to destination-everywhere.com and click the Source Now button and let us get to work for you. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Destination Everywhere. Right now, we'd like to talk about the elephant in the room, especially for everybody who's a traveler, and that's COVID and the impact that COVID has had on travel and hospitality and hotels, restaurants across the globe has been, if nothing less, just detrimental. But as we are getting back into the swing of things, recently, you know, even this past week, I've been on two different airlines. So we're going to hit a little bit on traveling, the ways that we travel, and then kind of what you might uh, expect during this pandemic. So, so I'm going to start off with, with you know, airlines. Uh, airlines have changed and they've changed um, not significantly, but I think it's probably changes that we're, we're welcomed anyways. I've been on two flights this week, uh, you know, and what I was asked to do was download the app and provide a cell phone number in the app, which actually worked out great because I was getting live updates on uh, when the plane was being sanitized. And this was on two different airlines when I needed to be there. Uh, so the information was live time while I was traveling. So I didn't have to gather at the, the, and, the gate agent, you know. So and Todd, were, yeah. And Todd, was everybody wearing masks? Everybody was wearing masks. And, and it was great that, you know, you kind of go in, planes were not at 100% capacity, which was, was just a pleasant surprise anyways, because right before this, everything was oversold. Yeah. Um, there was space. Um, I did make a point actually to book first class because I know that most planes are putting their first class cabins at 50% capacity. So especially on one of the flights, I did have to travel with my kids and I just felt safer knowing that there weren't a lot of people around. But, um, you know, everybody had masks. They were very diligent about that. The only time you could remove it is if you were actively eating or drinking. That was in the airport as well. So people would take a sip of water, mask would go back on. I didn't see anybody not being compliant or being belligerent about it, which was really, really nice to see. Because but they're not serving that. food on airlines right now, are they? Well, on both, like on, on one flight, it was a Delta flight. They gave everybody a, a Ziploc bag and in it was water and a snack. So everything was prepackaged. You didn't get to make a selection. There wasn't a, a, this was it. And if you didn't want it, fine. But if you wanted it, take it. And then on another flight, they were doing snack boxes and then they offered you a drink and they were pouring them in the cup. But at, at no time did I felt like, you know, anything was, you know, dangerous. I did. I, I felt like the, 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 with the gloves and the masks and the way things were packaged that, you know, it was a very safe environment. So I was happy to see that. That's great. That's great here. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about kind of what, what happens when you land. So obviously Uber and Lyft had kind of changed the landscape of ground transportation. And then once we landed, uh, the only thing that I saw that there really wasn't a process for was collecting your bags of baggage. I mean, everybody knew where to go and everybody would still go. But I did see still people flocking around the carousels, not social distancing, you know, waiting for their bags in certain areas. So I don't think anybody's really thought about that yet um, in, in, yeah. in terms of everybody. So maybe just kind of maybe hold back a little bit before you get your bags. Well, and that's what we did. We just kind of yeah. held back until all the bags were out there and then people got theirs. And then you could clearly see yours. You know, I wasn't in a rush, but um, yeah, there was that big flock that everybody sees when they go to carousels. So that was, that was a little discerning. But other than that, it was just a great flight experience on both, on both different airlines. Well, that's great. That's great. So 
Well, you know, before COVID, you know, uh, Uber and Lyft uh, really had changed all of our lives, especially those of us that travel a lot. But that's definitely changed now. So we have some tips for you for when you go actually into an Uber or Lyft. So the first one is to advise your driver that you're going to handle your own luggage, which is, is pretty common now because that was a service that they offered and it was kind of a nice, a nice but you want to handle your own uh, luggage. Obviously, if possible, sit in the, back of the, in the back seat and keep the windows down to increase ventilation, which is really, really important in this new, in this new normal. And then uh, wipe down commonly touched areas. So, you know, bring a little uh, packet of uh, wipes with you and just wipe down those common areas, seat buckles, door handles, things, things of that, that nature. And then, of course, when tipping, uh, I think most of us were doing this anyways, right, Todd? You were tipping through the app. So go ahead and continue to do that. So there doesn't have to be any type of physical exchange. So Lyft has ha- actually having policies where they're offering face masks and sanitizers to all their drivers and all shared rides are, have been suspended until further notice. And then Uber policies, uh, no required, they don't have a required cleaning policy, but they're working to with their drivers to provide them with actually with sanitation and cleaning supplies, which I think is great. So if you are going to take a um, ground transportation service, keep these things in mind to uh, have a safe ride. Yeah. And, and something else, you know, you mentioned wiping down. I, that was another thing I kind of failed to mention was uh, they gave everybody alcohol wipes when they got on the airplane and there were tons of hand sanitizing stations all around the airport. So uh, keep those wipes. If you don't use it on the airplane, you might need it in the Uber. So that's, a, that's great advice if you're not traveling with them yourself. And there were lots of PPE being sold in the gift shops. Uh, so if you do forget something, I guarantee you they're going to have it in the gift shop for you at the uh, airport. Um, so now let's talk a little bit about hotels. We've stayed in, in quite a few hotels this summer. And the ones we've stayed in actually weren't really you know, in hot spots. But uh, some of the experiences that we saw in hotels were pretty apparent. Uh, we saw you know, when you go and check in, again, masks are being worn in all common spaces inside the property. Yeah, for and sure. And then uh, when you go outside the property, uh, you do see, uh, you know, there's a little more flexibility. But if you're in crowds, you know, they ask you to put it back on. Uh, but there really weren't crowds because most of the hotels we saw weren't at capacity. Yeah, at least uh, about 50%, I would say. Yeah. And then, and then when you check in, you go to your room, there was a, a sticker on our door that says, this room has been sanitized for your protection. Some things that they're not offering or you can offer on request are um, housekeeping services. For sure, um, yeah. You can get new towels delivered, but uh, you know, if you don't want someone in your room, they're making it very accommodating for you at, at check-in in some of the properties. Uh, each member of our party got a PPE kit, you know, which included a mask and sanitizing wipes as well. You're probably not going to see room service come into your room anymore. But if you do, it's probably packaged in disposable containers now. So those beautiful trays of food with plates, uh, you're not seeing very much of that right now. And then uh, things like uh, spa, uh, children's activities and children's camps, uh, what are they, like the, you know, the, the in, in. Yeah, they're in, kind of suspended right now. They're the not services, really doing yeah. That. But, um, you know, we did notice uh, spas are open. I think if you go into a spa, you're also going to see the head circle that you usually place your head in. Uh, they've covered those now. So when you're facing down, you're not breathing out, which is kind of, I, I thought that was unique. And then, but uh, everybody again is wearing masks uh, at all times, even in spas. Pools, we saw you had to make reservation times. So if it's just you or you have family and you've got kids, call ahead and get that time in the pool because when you're on site, it's probably too late, but they are limiting pool. And then some hotels that uh, 
we were in actually separate the pool into quadrants so that your family gets this quadrant and your family you know, gets this quadrant. And it's usually for about 45 minutes at a time. And then they sterilize the pool decks again. Uh, but what, are, what were some of the other things uh, that we saw happening at some of the properties? Well, I think, you, I think we've covered most, most of the hotel stuff. I also want to talk about house rentals as well. So VRBO, Airbnb, you know, I think those have become even more popular because you do have your own safe, secured space. But there's some things that you need to be aware of. The homeowners can report to these that they've been cleaned with certain disinfectants and also use contactless check-ins. And so you don't have to have that one-on-one interaction, even though you're, you're running the place. And the property should have a 24-hour booking buffer. So they should uh, clean the property and then have 24 hours before they let the next guest in. You should ask for that. And then you're, you're ensured that it's clean, sealed, and taken care of. And you should ask the um, property owner to commit to whatever policies and cleaning protocols they, and that they are doing that. So it's good to verbalize that with them. Make sure you, they know that you consider that important to make sure that uh, you're safe and your family is safe. So, but overall, uh, that has become incredibly popular. Uh, so has RV rentals. And we're actually going to have um, the CEO of RV Share on in one of our upcoming episodes to see what he's doing and how popular RV trips have become. So we're excited about that. So overall, I think uh, it's been a great summer and I think people are really starting to pick up on travel, but these tips hopefully will help you as you go through your first travel experience. So now we're going to come back and speak to our guest, Todd, who are we speaking to? And when we come back, we will be talking with uh, Aaron Francis Cummings. She is the president and CEO of Destination Analyst. So we're really looking forward to hearing some numbers uh, from a traveler's perspective on when people will start to get back out there and traveling again. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Destination Everywhere. I'm Todd Bloodworth, and I'm here with Andy McNeil. And we're also here with our next guest, and that's Aaron Francis Cummings. And Aaron is the CEO and president of Destination Analysts. So thank you so much for joining us, Aaron. Thanks for having me, guys. So, you know, we want to just start off right away. You've got some great information that you're going to share about the American Traveler. But before we go there, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your company? Sure. So Destination Analysts uh, is a full-service market research firm. We serve the travel, tourism, and hospitality industries by providing insights into audiences, brands, and marketing performance. And our work is really to help grow the positive impact of tourism. So we provide a number of research services towards that. And we believe in the power of tourism to bring good into the world. Myself, I've spent my entire career in the travel industry. My first job out of college was in the marketing department of the San Francisco Convention and Visitors Bureau. I then went on to be the advertising manager for Amtrak for the Western United States before joining a destination analyst with my uh, business partner, Dave Bratton. We've done this for the last 16 (laughs) years. It goes by quickly. Yeah. So jumping right into it, Aaron, have you traveled at all yet? Since uh, COVID hit and we've been all sitting at home, have you gotten on a train, a plane, and a car? So, uh, yes, in tourism research, we define a trip as 50 miles or more from one's residence. I was very fortunate to get to a 
take a, it would be considered a trip for two months to my husband's family place in Tahoe during the height of shelter in place and have made a few other trips since then here. I have visited my parents in Los Angeles a few times and I actually flew on a plane back from visiting them. So I took pictures to document the experience. And sadly, I did try to go on a trip to see two very good friends of mine that also work in the travel industry. Um, And it didn't work out just because, and it actually put me in a depression for a week after working in the travel industry because it was so, it was just so difficult. One was in Florida, one was in Puerto Rico. It was just so difficult for us to see each other right now that it just made me really sad. And it's like, okay, certain types of travel are just really difficult and stressful to plan right now. So it's just, it's, I don't know, working in the industry is a bummer. Yeah, no, I think you've got the same blood that I think me and Andy both have. You know, you're just used to getting up and going whenever you want to, wherever you want to. And when these restrictions are now just binding us, it can be a little depressing. Yeah, tell us a little bit about your plane trip itself. How was it? Was it early on? Did it just happen? And like, what was your like real life? Because a lot of our listeners haven't done it yet. A lot of people are really apprehensive to get on a plane. We'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Sure. And I'll just start my last plane trip. And I'm like, you guys, I was on a plane all the time before this hit. My last trip was to Montana the first week of March. And already the planes were empty and it was very odd. So this last trip was a month ago. So fairly recently, and it was just a short flight from Los Angeles back to San Francisco. And I used a a smaller airport. The flight was supposed to be on was canceled, I'm assuming, because there weren't enough people. It was fine for me because I was just going back home and I got to spend more time in LA. I felt that the airport had put a lot of work into what they could do to keep people safe. I happened to fly Southwest for this trip. It's very interesting. I'm sure you guys have flown Southwest many times. But their boarding procedures now, it's only, I forget what it was, 10 people at a time. So very different from the mad rush to get your spot. Get your ABC. Yeah. And then on the plane, I was very, you know, Southwest made the policy no middle seat. So we didn't even have to worry about that. I mean, unfortunately for Southwest, but fortunately for the passengers, if you were nervous, we all had our own row. So I didn't feel like I ever had to unnecessarily be close to anyone. And I saw on my plane, everyone was very good about wearing a face covering. Right. That was one of my first questions for was almost everybody compliant that you saw inside the airport and on the plane? I saw on this trip, I saw 100% compliance with that, which I breathed a sigh of relief because in my research, we've shown repeatedly that when people see others not being compliant, that makes them less likely to travel. So it's this horrible cycle. And so I'm like, just for the economy, please just wear the face coverings because there's so many people that makes them feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. Folks are going out and spending. And anyway, on this trip, I saw compliance. And then I was also going to share this last week in our survey, we asked if people had taken a flight in the last couple months, 11.1% had. And we asked them if they were satisfied with what they saw at the airport and what they saw on their flight. And I was happy to see that the vast majority were satisfied with the coronavirus safety protocols, both at the airport and by the airline. Getting into that, getting into now, you know, the questions that you're asking travelers, tell us about some of those surveys and are they domestic travelers? Are they international travelers? Yeah, we're talking about your COVID index, which is a really valuable piece of information. And 
we'll certainly put it up on the website for so people we can share it with folks when this podcast launches. But the information is really, really valuable. Thank you. Yeah, we started that March 15th because we could see what was coming. Yeah. We actually had done a first read on COVID back in February. But back then I was like, oh, this is just some nice to have thing on how Americans are feeling about because none of us, I mean, we just, as Americans, we just did not think we were going to have a pandemic. It was just not in our psyche. So I, I did have an early read in February about if it was affecting travel. And it was like a little bit then. And then March, when we first did read, it was like, okay, this thing. And then the week after that, it just, everything is like, I keep saying this, like the wheels fell off the bus. But anyway, it's a survey we've done every week of 1,200 American travelers. And we define travelers as people who traveled pre-crisis. Obviously, when we started surveying shelter-in-place orders went in effect, and so people couldn't travel. So these are people who are propensity to travel. Are they the same 1,200 people you're surveying each time? No, no. It's a good little insight in how market research works. We contract with these panel companies whose whole corporate existence is to get people to take surveys. And no, so we tell them like, no, we can't have the same people every week. You got to send this out to new people. Yeah. And I think it's really important to point out that your research is independent. It's not sponsored. So it's very trustworthy. So I think it's important for our listeners to know that what you're seeing is not being you know, pushed by the travel industry. You're actually funding this yourself. Yes, we are. With the help of, we have clients that purchase subscriptions to it. Um, so yes, there's no influence for, from any sort of marketing or sponsorship standpoint. Our clients who are in the travel industry, they ask us to ask certain questions, which we publish. And we invite everyone, if you have ideas, or even Andy Todd, if there's anything that you want to know, we welcome the entire travel sphere to send suggestions. Because again, it is it is an independent research study to really help us all understand what's going on. If someone wants to do that. Who should they email or where should they go? Sure. Uh, we have a, um, a, a info at destinationanalyst.com and we respond to everyone that sends ideas. And if we can get them in, we will, but we will respond to, to any requests. So for this particular study, who are your clients? What industries are looking at this information that you're providing and making their own marketing decisions on it? Well, prior to this crisis, a a majority of our clients were destination marketing organizations. So the city and state tourism board, those are a lot of who are are subscribing. But the research has had a far reach because people need information so badly right now. So we know there are airports, hotel groups, attractions. Lots of the major attractions come to our webinars each week because there's not a single aspect of the travel industry that doesn't need to know what's going on with the American travel psychology each week. So what were some of the biggest surprises that you've seen or things that stand out in your mind in terms of the your research that people should be made aware of, whether you know they're in our industry, the hospitality industry, or just a traveler themselves that kind of wants to know what are the masses thinking right now as it relates to domestic or even international travel? So I would say that from the travel industry side, we want, I mean, me, my, uh, of course, all of us, we want things to recover as soon as possible. But I think the way, and it sounds opposite, but the way it's going to recover is if we just have patience with our consumers right now. They have expressed to us over and over, please, we want to travel, but just please be patient with us and please make us feel like it's safe. Uh, actually, 
for National Travel and Tourism Week back in May, I had an open-ended question on the survey and, and I let the survey respondents know it's National Travel and Tourism Week. Is there any words that you'd like to share the travel and hospitality industries? And it was very heartwarming. This was a lot of, we need you, hang in there. We promise we'll be back when we feel it's safe. Discounts and price cutting aren't, aren't even an option right now, right? It's really not driving usage at all. It's that's interesting. And I'll share with you all after this, the chart, it's, it's hard to kind of talk about without yeah. seeing it. Yeah. You know, it kind of would be like up and down, up and down. And then lately we've seen it fall off as a way of motivating people because unlike the great recession or good times, it's not the price that's number one, it's safety. We always would see time and cost be the biggest deterrence to travel. And now safety is just like replaced it as the the king of the <laughs> travel deterrence. I like hearing that actually. People are thinking about it as you see so much in the news and there's just, you know, debates about masks and not masks. But I like to hear that ultimately it is about safety and that's what the consumer is saying. Yes, they would like to feel like they are, you know, and so I think their psychology is, okay, there's some risk here. And then there are clearly people who are out already traveling and they, and we see it over each week when we study them, they are more they just feel safer. They're not as concerned. Is there a breakdown between a leisure traveler and a business traveler in your studies? We do look at that. Yes. And so business travelers tend, I think because they're more experienced with airlines, they tend, for example, to feel safer about air travel right now. But I will say though, it's still not at a level that we want. I mean, half of them still don't feel safe yet traveling on an airplane. That's crazy. What are traveling consumers looking for from the airlines and the transportation companies over the next 12 months. You talked about make us feel safe. How are they doing that? How should they do it? I guess is a better way to put it. Yeah. So we actually helped with the like our US, the US Travel Association looks at our our research and then they share it out with the industry. And so we we helped with the guidelines on that. Back in April, I believe, we asked the traveling consumer, what can the airlines do to make you feel safest. And they really wanted high-tech cleaning protocols, you know, with the UV light and uh, social distancing. And then this last week, when we asked people who had traveled by air, okay, what could the airline have done to make you feel safer? Number one was more strict enforcement of the mask wearing. That was far and away number one, what they said. Then they, and sat again, it's hard for the airline because then second to that, and it wasn't close to mask wearing, but second to that was they wanted less capacity (laughs) so that they could be away from others. And then the third most commonly suggested thing was more cleaning. Um, But that to mean that they felt like the cleaning was adequate. Adequate. Yeah. But they wanted more strict enforcement of the mask wearing. Are any airlines requiring that? Do you know of? Is there a reason why? Is there a federal law that doesn't allow them to require it? Have you run into any of that research? From what I've seen, all the airlines are requiring the face coverings. The thing is, you're allowed to take it off to eat and drink. And then yeah, I'm pretty sure the airlines have told the customers, please don't make our flight attendants have to police this. This is really, their job is already to keep you safe in the air with all the other things. Right. So I'm, what I'm imagining is, as we've all seen play out in our own local communities, is like there are some people that pull their masks down for some period of time and it upsets someone else. Right. Our individual behaviors are the thing that no company can control. Yeah. <laughs> Mine is they pull it down and their nose is hanging out. That drives me crazy. 
Me too. I just, have you said anything me. to anyone, Todd? Because I've been I'm like, you know should what? I say something? <laughs> I was out yesterday and I actually thought about saying it. And you know, they just looked defeated already. And I didn't want to like and maybe I don't know if I did the right thing, but no, I didn't say anything. And I probably should have. Well, it's, you know, it's that fine line of what are you going to get on the back end of that, right? So um, is, are they going, I mean, if they feel like it's important to them for whatever, maybe they have asthma, maybe they can't breathe on a, like, like the rest of us can, right? or maybe they just don't feel like someone should be telling them what to do. So I think, you know, it's a fine line to do it. And I think there's a little bit of risk there when you yeah. want to take that step. I looked at it as it's the place of business. It's their job to police it, not mine. But if they were in yeah. my space, I probably would have said something. Yeah, I just were at my thing was like, I felt like they didn't know, like, hey, you're not, it has to go over your nose. And I thought maybe they didn't know that. That's why I want to say something. Or it just slides down eventually because <laughs> their masks are too big and they don't even realize that their nose is out at that point. There's a hundred different reasons, but I probably should have said something. Okay, so over the next 12 months, based on your latest study, what is it looking like for the traveler? What's the confidence out there that they will, a month or two, they're going to be back on an airplane and traveling again? A month or two. I'm not seeing really great indicators yet for a month or two, although last week we did see some improvements in excitement for near-term travel. But I'd say when you say looking out over the year, some good news that we saw, we have another study that we've done since 2006, which is a quarterly study of American travelers, and that's called the State of the American Traveler. And we always ask these travel sentiment types of questions. And so in our weekly coronavirus survey, we repeated some of those questions a few times so that we could help with benchmark because everyone wants to know like, okay, well, how far off are we? Yeah. So back in May, we saw this huge falling off of people saying they were going to travel less, spend less, not prioritize travel as much in their budget. But then when we asked two weeks ago, all of those numbers improved. So it's going in the right direction, which to me looked like, okay, as Americans look out over the next year, there's something that's making them feel that something good is going to happen within that time period. And so less of them are saying, I'm going to travel less. They're moving more towards, okay, I'm going to travel about what I did before. I'm going to put more. We saw the reported budgets rise. We saw the prioritization of travel and the budget rise. So it's like, okay, they look out the next year, they're feeling a little better. They think something good is going to happen. Probably a little bit of pent up demand too, right? People want to get back out there. So they're probably being cautiously optimistic to some extent. I know I feel that way. Like, yeah, I want to get back out there. I want to travel again. So I think, especially if you're if you're asking business travelers too. Look at what's already happened. When Disney World opens up, there's already a floodgates of people. I mean, it didn't affect their business. In fact, they would have probably gotten more people had they been allowed to accept more people. It's pulling the triggers on opening things, but obviously you can't do that right now. Yeah. So pent-up demand, certainly on the leisure side, we see indicators of that and, and that Americans really feel that travel is a wellness activity. It's part of their emotional well-being. And we've seen that in responses to questions we've asked. I just want to remind everyone that, you know, travel industry is complex. We re- the travel industry relies heavily on meetings and conventions and also business travel. And those are the two aspects that I haven't, I don't know. Those are the more unknown and a lot of that is driven by corporate policy right now saying, you know, no internal business travel, you know, so when they start opening up those things, hopefully, you know, we start seeing an influx. Yeah, we're definitely seeing that in our business and um, everyone's being cautiously optimistic. I mean, we're actually booking some events that are hybrid now where people are doing regional meetings to pull people in regional so they can still socially distance. They don't need to get on a plane, 
but then, you know, layer that with a virtual hybrid for everybody else that can't. And so some of that, we're seeing some cautious optimism. I think that the convention business is a big, big unknown. The smaller meetings, the individual business meetings, I think that will come back first with the convention business. I mean, convention business is all about large crowds and, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies. So I think it's going to be a long haul. And I know the virtual side of our business has exploded, especially on the convention and trade show side, which is an indicator for us that that's going to continue to grow. But there's nothing like being face-to-face with somebody. Aaron, you're great. You look awesome on our podcast, but it would be nice to be in a room to shake your hand today. So I think, you know, those are things that are just part of uh, the American and the world culture as a whole. Yeah. And so we do a lot of research on the meeting side as well. And it's not just people like us, Andy and Todd, that are like, oh, we need to be face-to-face. I interviewed a number of convention and business travelers to see how they were feeling. And they said, and it's almost a silver lining, but they said that what COVID crisis has taught them is that they value the face-to-face even more. And to do business, they all said a consistent thing, to do business, there is so much lost in Zoom. Yep. It's so much data that as a, when you're doing business that you need to take in being live that you can't on Zoom and it, it affects business process. Yeah. The relationship's not the same, right? Yeah. They all said that. You might see somebody four or five, 10 times over the course of three days, right? And each one of those interactions creates a deeper connection. And that's why... I've always loved the meetings and conventions business is because that's what it's about is about relationships and having a great time and believing in your product and service and selling it to other people. And they're doing the same to you, you know, back and forth. So it will come back. I know it's going to be a long haul though, I fear. Yeah. The meeting planners that we surveyed recently, I think half of them said they were working on a, something that had a live component in the next six months. Yeah. So that's good. I think you said you're working on things. I know they, a lot of them said that they were doing hybrid events. And I think that once the early adopters show that it can be done yep. safely and we all work together to show that, then it will help bring that side back fast. Yeah. I saw the first industry event happen in Maui last week. I don't think anybody got on a plane to go to Maui, but they held an, an industry social distancing event. So I thought that was a, a positive sign. Aaron, I do have a question, and does, do your studies show this, is do people have more of a fear of the actual flying, or do they have a fear of going into a hotel and a convention once they get to their destinations? I mean, is does one prove more harmful than the other to some of the travelers? I will say we consistently see transportation be the stickiest point of... Of travel. Yeah. Um, the last several weeks, staying in a hotel has not been seen as unsafe by as many people who feel an airline is unsafe. Right. Um, but, but the things, it's all being driven by fear of other people. So I've asked a couple of times convention travelers about coming back to these events and they trust the organizers. So they trust the professionals. We ask them about the other attendees, then the trust goes down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's natural. We talked earlier about the individuals and that's a, people. we're all afraid of each other. So for all the planners in the venues, that's a, a sign to them, you know, do your job and you will get the trust of the attendee, right? I think in that, that survey we asked too, like, well, what, you know, do you want to feel safe? And they, they want the enforcement of the social distancing. Right. Masks, social distancing, yeah. sanitary stations, all that stuff. Exactly. All the stuff that keeps them safe from other people. Yeah, exactly. 
This has been so helpful, Aaron. I love what you're doing. And I think it's such a value to people in our industry and travel and tourism. And so, Aaron, where can uh, people go to uh, learn more about the different reports and um, research that you offer? Sure. Everything's on our website at destinationanalyst.com. And if you go to our COVID insights page, if you're interested, you can sign up to get our newsletter where we release our findings every Monday at 8 a.m. Eastern via that email. So if you like, like being on top of the traveling consumer trends, you're welcome to sign up for that. That's great. And I was going to say, it's destination analysts, and there's an S at the end of that .com in case you didn't hear it. Yes, we are a team of analysts. Analysts. Got it. So Aaron, before we like to ask each one of our guests before they leave, once we get back out there and start traveling again, do you have any bucket list items around the world or down the street that you really want to do that you haven't had a chance to do yet? Well, I'm still stewing on the travel that I didn't get to do this year. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. Every so often I do an inventory of all the trips that I missed this year (laughs) that make me upset. I'll I'll answer by saying this. I really, it was a a dream of mine to take my kids to do the Tour de Mont Blanc trek in Europe. You walk through these beautiful, this mountain, it's this famous walking track that the Europeans do. And I was going to take them this summer. So I think that's first on my list once they let Americans pack in. Nice. Is that like the El Camino? The one that goes through Spain? Oh, um, yes, I do know that one. That one looks amazing also. Actually, the first time I learned about that, I sat in an airplane on American Airlines with someone that had just done that. Wow. It's an incredible trip. Couldn't all these things that we are missing right now. I know. Well, hopefully you'll get back out there and do them real soon. Yeah, I can't wait. Thank you for the service that you're offering uh, the broader community and the travel industry. And uh, we hope to have you back sometime soon. Thanks for joining us. Thank you all. Thank you so much, Aaron. Well, that wraps it up for this edition of Destination Everywhere. Thank you so much for listening. And just to let you know, again, we we know this was a a unique podcast to start with, addressing obviously what we're all dealing with. And But we are looking forward to uh, releasing our future podcasts that actually go into these wonderful, great destinations. And we look forward to taking you with us. So make sure you please subscribe, rate, and review by listening on your uh, preferred podcast app. Or visit us by going to www.destination-everywhere.com and uh, subscribe. And we'd also really like to thank our team here. Uh, We have Chris Jordan, who is a copywriter, and Guy Quattlebaum, who is a content developer, Annie Fernandez, the creative director, and of course, our wonderful podcast producer, Lauren Campbell. So thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you next time on Destination Everywhere. You've just tuned in to another episode of Destination Everywhere with travel and hospitality entrepreneurs, Todd Bloodworth and Andy McNeil. To access the show notes and other helpful resources, visit destination-everywhere.com. Join us again next week for another bucket list filled show as we feature another travel worthy destination. Until next time, travel well and be safe out there.